SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Manukora Honey. Merriam-Webster defines honey as a sweet, viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees. And that's all good and fine, but old Miriam and Webster (laughs) used some words that I don't know and didn't really hit the mark when it comes to talking about Manukora honey. First off, Manukora isn't just sweet and viscid. It's got a rich, complex taste and a creamy, melt-in-your-mouth texture that you won't find in your average, everyday grocery store honey. And nectar of flowers doesn't cut it when you're talking about the nectar of the Manuka tea tree in New Zealand. The only nectar these bees feed on in the production of Manukora honey. In conclusion, Manukora ain't just your average boring dictionary defined honey. It's special honey. I know this firsthand. Uh, they sent us a jar, a squeeze bottle, and some honey sticks. And we've been sharing them around the office of their MGO 850 Plus, their best selling honey. It's not the same. <laughs> it's not <laughs> what you're thinking of when you think of honey. Look, have you ever think to yourself, if like, a company made grapes for the first time, we'd go nuts. It's, I feel like honey is this way, where I'm like, if anybody like made this up, we'd be going out of our minds. But this is like if honey happened again. Did you like the honey, Sari? So I moved into a new place where there's no insulation in the walls. And so uh, I've been drinking a lot of tea. And mm-hmm. sometimes that tea needs a little bit of honey. And I initially poured in this honey thinking it was going to be grocery store honey. And then I was like, that's different. And now it's a little uh, breakfast treat. It's a great breakfast treat because it's 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 a little like it's for toast. I could put like this on my butter toast and I'm like, oh, I'm having an experience. So Merriam-Webster also defines ultimate as the best or most extreme of its kind. Now that one fits Manukora to a T. Indulge in the best or most extreme sweet viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees from Manukora. If you head to manukora.com slash tangents, you can get $25 off their starter kit, which comes with the MG850 Plus Manuka Honey, a free travel pack of honey sticks, a free wooden spoon, and also a free guidebook. That's M-A-N-U-K-O-R-A dot com slash tangents to get $25 off your starter kit. Welcome to SciShow Tangents, the lightly competitive knowledge showcase starring some of the geniuses that make the YouTube series SciShow occur. This week, joining me as always are Stefan Chin. Hello, I'm here. What's your tagline? I hate winter. Stefan, thank you for producing lots of SciShow and making it beautiful. You're welcome. I don't say that for tolerating the cold. And for living in Montana. (laughs) (laughs) It's beautiful. That is a big part of working here. You just have to come here and live through it <laughs> you're from montana though I know. <laughs> sam schultz is also here it's so much colder where i'm from too yeah is that your tagline no my tagline is i'm very sick so i'm sorry everybody <laughs> if i don't make any sense that's why we're also joined by sari riley writer for various uh science communication things hi sari how are you hello i'm good today I'm Whoa. Worried. I'm worried. Yeah. yeah wow. <laughs> it's like a change of pace. <laughs> We're both sad and you're good. Yeah. yeah. I cool. stole your energy. <laughs> you did. Mm. Oh, no. Uh, Sari, what's your tagline? Wisdom teeth not included. And I'm Hank Green. <laughs> uh, my tagline is the creosote bush. 
What is what that? Is that? The hell? This is a bush that grows in the desert. It's very toxic. You Ooh. can't eat the leaves. It's a desert strategy generally. Oh. It's hard to make stuff in the desert. So anything comes by and like eats your leaves, you're like, I need it. Those. I can't make more. So things in the desert are hard to eat. They have spines. They're tough. And sometimes they're toxic. This podcast is not about the desert. This episode <laughs> is not about desert stuff, though maybe next time, because that's a good topic. That is a good idea, yeah. But as a reminder to people, this uh, this is SciShow Tangents. Every week we get together, we try to amaze each other, we try to delight each other with science facts, and we're playing for glory, and we're playing for pride, but we're also playing for Hank Bucks, which are imaginary. So I guess it's just more <laughs> glory and pride. We do everything we can to stay on topic, but judging by previous conversations with this group, we will not be great at that. So if the team decides that the tangent we go on is unworthy, we will force that person who created that tangent to give up one of their hang pucks. So tangent with care. Now, as always, we're going to introduce this topic with a traditional science poem this week from Sari. So this poem was created using a Wikipedia article and software. Ooh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's called... Predicts how the outputs jump to navigation, jump to search engines, such as the input. Data starts from a random guess, but then they may have unintended consequences. A common type of CAPTCHA generates a grade, that test, that assesses whether a computer can be. Media sites overtaking <laughs> TV, images as a source of learning itself, more machine learning accidents mean different mistakes than humans make. The simpler work, consider humans' algorithms. Does humanity want computers and humans apart? We begin the search for AI. So first, our topic of the day is artificial intelligence. <laughs> mm -hmm. Second, what was that? How did you make that? <laughs> so I took the Wikipedia article for artificial intelligence, mm -hmm. and I found an open source software called Janus Node, mm -hmm. which describes itself as many things, but uh, also Photoshop for text. And so you can program in different rules of how to filter the page. Um, I used a button that's web poem, which was very easy. Uh, you <laughs> click it and it does a mixture of randomizing the words. Um, so I guess it assigns each word a value and then shuffles them around. And also some Markov chaining, which is where it uses probability of how words follow, like the probability of one word following another and using that to generate strings that make more sense than just random words. So you're saying that your science poem, you didn't write it at all. Yeah, I... <laughs> I did curate it a little bit. Like, I cut out some of the things that made no sense yeah. at all and squished stanzas together to make it have some sort of meaning. But all the words are for Wikipedia. Okay. Well, the, I think you get a Hank book for that. Yeah. <laughs> if for nothing else, the ingenuity. Yeah. Of course. Getting out of writing. Well, that's, what, that's the whole thing with artificial <laughs> intelligence. Because ultimately, it's it, even, even when it's something is created by a computer, a person created the computer program that created it. But also that's true of me. Like, yeah. I was also created by people. I liked the part in the poem where it said computers make different mistakes than humans <laughs> yeah. do. I was like, yeah, that's, that's taken me somewhere. <laughs> I can't tell you exactly where. So our topic is artificial intelligence. Sari, what is that? It's very broad, but very narrow. It's weird. People have tried to define it, but it gets philosophical. Yeah. In general, it's making a machine think, analyze, and make decisions. Okay. Approaching some sort of what I think it's called natural intelligence. It's what they consider humans and animals and organic stuff to have. One table that I found. I read a lot of textbooks for this because I'm not a computer scientist. Whole How textbooks? many textbooks did you read for a single episode of Tangents? <laughs> okay. I said plural textbooks. <laughs> what I meant is pages of one textbook. <laughs> and one of them defined it as a grid of like human-based versus rationality 
and then reasoning-based versus behavior-based. So are we trying to design systems that think like humans, systems that act like humans, Mm -hmm. or systems that think rationally, or systems that act rationally? And Mm. then there's like the entire text is all a discussion of what is rationality? What is intelligence? What is acting like a human mean? And generally, we design artificial intelligence to solve problems mm-hmm. in a way that either right. humans would, but faster and better mm-hmm. than we would, or problems that humans can't solve on their own because our brains are limited in some way. In my probably less significant delving into this topic, I, I did find that there is sort of like a bunch of different categories of artificial intelligence. You know, like the kind of AI that we're using right now with artificial neural nets that can like tell whether there's a dog in a picture versus like the kind of artificial intelligence that's like two plus two equals four is a kind of artificial intelligence because mm-hmm. math is, you know, feels like intelligence to us. Mm-hmm. But we've had mechanical calculators for hundreds of years. That like even before computers, and then there's like artificial general intelligence, the singularity, or, or yeah, when it's like this, you can just give this thing a task and it'll figure out how to do it on its own, mm-hmm. or strong AI when it's like, okay, now we're talking about things that are smart, similarly to or beyond that of people. It's called strong AI. Yeah, mm-hmm. which is the stuff that gives you the goosebumps, and yeah. you start thinking, well, are we gonna? Maybe we're gonna make ourselves obsolete, like my. My phone from 10 years ago isn't that good. Is that how I'm going to feel about, like, human beings? (laughs) (laughs) What is the difference between AI and machine learning? Is that the same thing? Machine learning is a kind of AI. Okay. I stumbled across a thing somewhere that was saying that AI is often used for things, like, when we're imagining, like, super smart robots that, like, mimic human intelligence or whatever. But then, like, as soon as we figure out how to do a specific thing, that sort of falls, like, we sort of remove the intelligence part of it. And we're just like, oh, that's object recognition or something. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Or, like, these are neural networks that can program this thing. Or, or My interpretation of it is, like, we now know how the sausage is made. And so we don't label it as intelligence anymore. Right. Mm. <laughs> that That is an interesting uh, place to end up at where you're like, oh, wait a second. <laughs> Are we going to keep redefining this as not intelligent because we know how it works, uh-huh. even beyond the point where we have created slave bots? Oh. Ooh. Mm. No, see, I'm thinking once we figure out how our brains work and then we're like, oh, we're not intelligent either. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think humans will ever say we're not intelligent. No, I know. Everyone I, has well, too much ego for that. <laughs> the other thing is I don't think we'll ever really figure out how our brains mm. work because I think we'll be able to create intelligent machines more easily than we will be able to understand our own brains. Will they be able to tell us how our brains work? Probably not. Because, like, getting in there and doing that measurement would be destructive. Though now that I've said that, I'm like, if they want to find out, (laughs) they can just be destructive. So now it's time to talk about this more in the framework of... Which is our segment when one of our panelists, this week it's me, has prepared three science facts for your education and enjoyment, but only one of them is real. The other panelists have to figure out either by deduction or wild guess which is the true fact. If they do, they get a Hank Buck. If they are tricked, I get the Hank Buck. All right, fact number one. Scientists have actually given IQ tests to artificial intelligence programs. And they found that Google's AI had a 47-point IQ, around the IQ of a six-year-old human. Google's AI, a couple years before that, had a 23-point IQ. So in the last two years, the IQ of that AI has more than doubled. If that happened again over the next two years, Google would be as smart as the average adult. 
Or effect number two, some AI scientists have theorized that a true general artificial intelligence where a computer can handle tasks the way a human would, would require that the program be raised like a human child. And this was attempted by a researcher, Brian Zweiler, with a computer that operated inside of a simulation where Brian interacted with the avatar of the AI quote-unquote child and allowed it to live and grow inside that simulation. Until Brian accidentally left the simulation running while he was on vacation. During those two weeks, the AI walked around the same circuit in the house tens of thousands of times, and the behavior overwrote all of its previous learning, and the experiment had to be restarted. Or number three. You okay, Sam? That one sounds like a ghost story. (laughs) (laughs) Mark Zuckerberg, in his spare time, created an artificial intelligence system for his home and hired Morgan Freeman to be the voice of that system. That is not the fact, because that is true. I'll just come out and tell you that that is not not true. That is 100% true. Here's the part that might not be true. Uh, He called Morgan Freeman and was like, can you please record all this stuff? And among the things that Mark Zuckerberg asked Morgan Freeman to record, your coffee is almost ready, Mark. Did you want me to turn out the lights in the garage, Mark? And I think you look fine today, Mark. Oh, I hate that. (laughs) (laughs) So those are my three facts. We've got scientists have given IQ tests to artificial intelligence, and it's doubled for Google's AI in the last two years. Number two, Brian Zweiler accidentally left his simulation running, and uh, and it overrode its program by walking around the house for two weeks straight, tens of thousands of times. Or Mark Zuckerberg asked Morgan Freeman to record the line, I think you look fine today, Mark. <laughs> they got increasingly weird. Yeah. <laughs> like you started out being like, okay, Google's development's fine. And then demon Tamagotchi computer. <laughs> and then Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, it's not a demon Tamagotchi. It sounds like it is. How is it not? It just what? Like, it only had the one thing to do. Walk? Yeah. Well, but when his friend was there, it had other stuff. It to had do. other stuff to do. Yeah. When a Tamagotchi's by itself, all it can do is poop. And then it dies. Just like this. <laughs> yeah. Same thing. Yeah, I guess I qualitatively added the demon part because I assumed that I was going to seek vengeance. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just turn it off. Unplug it. Yeah. Delete program before it knows we did that. All right, okay. quiz me. What do you think? I'm dubious about the first one yeah. because IQ tests, as far as I know, involve a lot of different aspects of things. So it's mm-hmm. like verbal tests, spatial awareness. As they worked on natural language processing, then it would get better at like one chunk of the IQ test, which is how mm-hmm. it could get better. But I think there are too many different things that an AI could just like blanket improve. So do you not think that it could match a human's IQ on an IQ test? Like it could learn to take the test? I think it could learn to do problems. It could learn a specific problem and then like plug and chug versions of that problem. But if you're given it a logic puzzle, mm. then that's an entirely separate set of mm. programming and conditions that seems extremely hard to do. It could Google the answer. You think? <laughs> I guess it had a database yeah. of all the answers. That's how Watson worked with Jeopardy, I think. That one also mm. feels like it has too many holes in it to me, I guess. Because of the reasons you just said. And more smarter ones that I won't say out loud. (laughs) (laughs) Sam had a bunch of smart ideas he's not going to tell us. Mm -hmm. I cut them all out of the episode. (laughs) They took too much time. I really want the middle one to be true. Yeah. So 100%. I don't want to justify it at all. I just want that one. Where Brian Zweiler's AI just walked around a house tens of thousands of times. I bet Brian felt bad. 
when he got back. Right? I just like the idea that the only way to make a smart computer is to raise it like a human. Yeah. That is legitimately something that I will say out loud is is a thing. One of the cover stories in Scientific American recently was about how, like, to make an artificial human, you would have to raise a computer like a human. Mm. Could you not do it Blade Runner style? Or you just, like, give them all the memories... Well, what you would do is you would raise the first one like a human, and then you could just mm. port the program to other bots. Seems like a bad idea. <laughs> yeah, so there'd just be like, there'd be like thousands and thousands of one type of, and you would be like the dad who raised the thousand AIs. Ooh, oh. sorry. Like, don't put that one in the episode. <laughs> I want to write that story. <laughs> Nobody thinks Mark Zuckerberg asked Morgan Freeman I mean, to? well, hmm. I just don't care about that one. It doesn't. <laughs> it isn't me as interesting. Yeah. Demon Tamagotchi, that really hits hits a spot. It seems too perfect, though. I don't know now. <laughs> I'm going with number two. You're going with Demon Tamagotchi. Mm-hmm. I I think I want to go with number two as well because I want it to be true. Okay, me too. Oh, um, everybody's going for number two. Yeah. We can't all pick the same. <laughs> You're all wrong. <laughs> oh, <yikes. laughs> I knew that was maybe gonna oh. happen, but you know, why did you guys pick the same? One? <laughs> I made that one up completely. You did? <laughs> no. Man. You already oh, cool. wrote the third book. Yeah, it's true that people have theorized that you'd have to raise an AI like mm-hmm. a human child, but mm-hmm. Brian Zweiler was made up and nobody there's no Brian Zweiler there's no Brian Zweiler oh, no. sounds like a real name it sounds it like a real name doesn't it <laughs> I even looked it up to make sure Zweiler was a real last name it is um, and Mark Zuckerberg did not ask Morgan Freeman to say you look fine today Mark <laughs> but he did ask Morgan Freeman to say a bunch of other stuff uh-huh. mm-hmm. I just made up some things that Morgan Freeman would say and it is true Shit. that this group of researchers gave uh, an IQ test, and I don't know what IQ test, and I looked, and the article didn't tell me exactly what IQ test it was. And Google's AI performed best on the test of all the AIs it tested, like, significantly better. Um, Like, Sari, sorry, uh, was, like, in the 20s, and Google was 47. Siri. Siri, you meant Siri. God damn it. We made eye contact. (laughs) It's hard. Um, So Siri was, uh, had, had a, her IQ, I guess she's a she, in the 20s. And, uh, and then the uh, Microsoft one, Cortana was in the 30s. Uh, one from a Chinese company was in the 30s and then Google was in the 40s. Do we interact with this AI in our day-to-day lives? Um, it is, I think that they're testing just the, uh, the the assistants that we have on our phones. Those things are that smart? Apparently, I don't know exactly how they asked them the questions mm-hmm. and whether like Watson, it was like, going to like find an answer and just doing natural language processing and being like, oh, I'll check the internet for that. That no. seems like cheating. It does seem like cheating. The, the the what it comes down to is like understanding. Like they aren't understanding the question we're asking them. They right. are using systems to provide us the answer that is most likely to be true. Isn't okay. that what we're all doing? That's the question. <laughs> and that's the point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. At what point? Like, what is understanding? Yeah. So we've reached the point of the podcast where we're all feeling a t- tinge of existential crisis. So I think it's probably a good time to go to the advertisement. (laughs) SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Factor, whose ready-to-eat meal delivery takes the stress out of meal planning. Stress is stressful. I don't like it. (laughs) Life just goes and goes, and it doesn't ever stop going. There's always something else to do. And one of those things is a very important thing, 
called Eating Dinner. To eat dinner, one must pick out what they want to eat and then go to the grocery store and then buy the stuff and then chop the stuff and do other things to the stuff. You have to heat the stuff and put it in water. And then afterwards, you have to take the things that you heated it in and they're gross and you have to make them clean again. Meanwhile, life is still happening. That all all that's building up around you. Oh, this is like, terrifying. I'm so <laughs> I never want to cook again. <laughs> You're right, factor ad. I don't. I don't want to have this happen. This is unacceptable. <laughs> Sometimes, uh, parentheses, all the time, uh, you just don't have the time or the energy for meal planning on top of everything else going on in your life. So thankfully, Factor is here to help. Factor's two-minute meals are your secret weapon come mealtime. You can get chef-crafted meals that are better for you and better tasting than takeout delivered right to your door ready to heat and ready to eat. No prep, no mess, no sink full of dishes, no stress. We're kicking stress out the door in 2024, and I certainly hope that's true for me. Heck yeah, Factor. <laughs> Kick my stress. Right out the door. <laughs> I'm going to get a chest freezer just for these meals. <laughs> oh, you're going to need one because they have over 35 meals to choose from. Flexible ordering options, add-ons, smoothies. Factor offers all sorts of fast, simple solutions when you're too busy to cook. Banish your stress, even if it's just for like one hour while you're eating dinner. Head to factormeals.com slash tangents50 and use code tangents50 to get 50% off. That's code tangents50 at factormeals.com slash tangents50 to get 50% off. And we're back. Uh, Hank Buck totals one for Sari for the science poem, three for me. Garbage. I don't think we've ever been dumb enough to all pick the same answer before. (laughs) It was a really excellent lie, though. So I think you deserve it. Those are good ones. Uh, And now it's time for our fact off, where Stefan and Sam have each brought facts to present to the others in an attempt to blow our minds. And we, me and Sari, each have a Hank Buck to award the fact that we like the most. So, who goes first? It's the person who most recently had a banana. Oh my God. <laughs> Did you watch me at my freaking desk just now? I ate a banana, <laughs> I ate a banana right before I walked oh, in here. Man, no, no, I did not know that. That's so weird. I was trying to make myself feel better somehow. <laughs> I thought it was potassium. Well, one time I was playing We Fit, <laughs> and it said, if you're ever feeling tired, eat a banana because it has as much energy as a cup of coffee or something like that. And ever since then, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but ever since then, whenever I feel bad, I eat a banana. It never works, so. though. <laughs> we lied to you. Thanks for oh, nothing. God. We fit. Yeah. Some yeah. programmer at Nintendo was just like, man, I love bananas. <laughs> yeah. I feel better every time I have a banana. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I guess Sam's going first unless Stefan like, just like is eating a banana right now. Nope. When was that your I, last banana? I don't even know. I went through a phase where I ate so many bananas and I haven't had a banana in months. What is so Why many? Is so, it's just like so many bananas. What, what is like, too many bananas? Or how so many, many? Like multiple a day? Oh, yeah. Like a bunch a day. Like, like an actual bunch? bunch? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you got to go to Costco. And you get a, you can stock up because they, they're a little bit. You're going to eat like 15 still. bananas this week? No, I haven't been doing that. No, but, but like, there was a point when you There did. was a point where you were eating. Yeah, like, sure. Why not? What's the problem? Uh, 
I That's think, a lot of bananas. Yeah. That's a lot of bananas. <laughs> How did everything turn out in the end? I feel great. <laughs> Sam. I still have to go first, even though he's definitely eaten more Lifetime bananas. Than me. <laughs> okay, Ooh, that would be a good stat to know. Lifetime bananas? <laughs> yeah. Why doesn't Steam tell me the important stats? <laughs> Ready? Yep. The Serengeti National Park in Tanzania is about the size of New Hampshire, but overseen by only 150 rangers. Mm. So it's basically impossible for them to watch the entire park at once. But it's also, they have a huge poaching problem where people are killing elephants for their ivory. And it's like, they can't do anything about it really for the most part because people sneak into the park and they can't stop them. They have set up motion sensing cameras that have been sort of helpful, but there's so much stuff going on on the savannah. Like it could be a hyena sneaking around Mm -hmm. or it could be a person sneaking around. And the only way to know is to look at all this footage and see, oh, there's a person. But with a little bit of help from researchers and a generous grant from the Leonardo DiCaprio Foundation, there has been a new series of cameras developed called Trail Guard AI, which are being deployed in the parks right now. And what they do is they can tell humans and cars from other kinds of animals. So instead of sending all the footage that they take to Mm. the guards to check out, they just send the footage of humans and vehicles going around. So then the the park rangers get that right away and they can go do something about it. They've had an older version in the parks for a while that don't narrow it down quite as well. And they've caught like 20 poaching rings so far. So this new thing hopefully will be even better than that. Similar technology is being used to catch Tomb Raiders in China. And it's being used to, they send like scooters down with cameras on them to coral reefs. And the cameras on the scooters can tell what kind of animals and plants are in the coral reef. So then they can tell the scientists if they're too far gone to bother helping (laughs) with. Or if there's still a chance for them to like put money into it and try to save the coral reef. I was thinking about uh, during that there's a spy plane that they have used for both like war and terrorism stuff, but also for just crime Mm -hmm. in some places where it's way up in the sky and has extremely detailed photographs and it's just always filming. And you can track not just where the people are when the crime happens, but like track them back to where they came from and track them to where they went. And it's very creepy. But it seems like a sort of perfect application for that. Yeah, they only have a couple hundred of these cameras, I think. So it still is like not necessarily covering the whole thing, but Mm -hmm. they just put them where they guess people will be able to get Mm -hmm. in. Sure. Are they disguised at all or are they just like? Uh, They're only the size of a pencil. So oh. they just like shove them into trees and stuff. And they I have think. like a Wi-Fi connection, like like talk to the cell- cellular stuff. Yeah, they have some kind of chip in them that does the first pass of being able to tell what to oh, send. Okay, and then I think they send it to a bigger computer that does like a second pass to, to hmm. and then it sends it to the people to take a look at. Awesome. Are they three sixty cameras? No. They're just, just like, pointed out they like look like the pencils and they're the size of pencils. <laughs> All right, Stefan, what do you got for us? There have been some studies so far that have shown links between eye movement and personality, but all these studies are pretty much lab-based. They give them personality tests and then they try to predict things like, how many times is this person going to fixate on this thing based on this personality trait? And so these researchers wanted to explore real-world eye movement and see if they could predict the personality traits 
from the movements using an artificial intelligence Mm -hmm. neural network. So they had 50 students and faculty of this university and tracked their eye movements while they walked around. They had to run an errand. So they had to walk around for 10 minutes and buy something from a store on campus. With like a thing on their heads? Yeah, yeah. So th- I was like, <laughs> maybe that's affecting their eye movements too. I, would I don't so. know. I think if I had a weird thing on my head, my personality would change. <laughs> <laughs> they had they had head mounted eye eye trackers and phones strapped to their chest, so you could they could film like what was in front of me. Hello, I am a normal human. <laughs> I am here to buy eggs. <laughs> I would like fifteen bunches of bananas. <laughs> <laughs> then when the people returned to the researchers, they had them take a bunch of different personality tests, uh, looking at the big five personality traits. And then they trained a neural network and it did a pretty good job of predicting four out of five of the personality traits. It was best at predicting extroversion, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which feels like that sort of makes sense to me. They didn't really go into detail, but I'm like, you know. Make a lot of eye contact. Yeah, you're like looking around at people. Introvert, you're like down at the ground. Please don't notice me and my goggles. (laughs) 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 And then it also did a pretty good job at neuroticism, agreeableness, and conscientiousness, but it was not good at predicting openness. And I thought it was interesting they mentioned specifically that the pupil diameter was important for predicting neuroticism. But not useful for anything else. I need more research. This is a small sample size. Yeah, there needs to be more research. They don't know why these things are connected yet. And they say it's not accurate enough yet to do practical things with it. But it is outperforming other baselines Hmm. so far. And it corroborates the findings of all the previous studies. Well, get ready for robots that can know more about you than you do. That's what I thought was interesting was like, what I thought when I read the headline was like, oh, if I see someone make an S shape with their eye, that means they're lying or something Mm -hmm. like that. But it's more, they want to be able to design robots that can read your expression really well Mm -hmm. and possibly like mimic that itself. Like if if the robot has eyes so that you can have a more meaningful computer human interaction. That's what I want. So it can advertise to you better. Probably. So it can advertise to me better. So it can more effectively get me to buy the correct bananas. (laughs) (laughs) You look like a 15 banana guy. (laughs) Tell by your eye movements. You've got a lot of bananas in your life, haven't you? You keep looking at bananas. <laughs> like, what other application would there even be for it? Just so that an AI would be nicer to interact with. If, like, I walk up to somebody and I can tell that they're shy, I will treat them differently than mm-hmm. if I walked up to somebody and they are obviously outgoing. So, uh, like, ideally, a computer or robot that interacts with people would also be able to do that. Right. If it's like doing caregiving activities or something. Okay. Well, there's nothing that I think about more than where my eyes are. So it probably, it probably works. <laughs> They're in your head now. Uh, I'm, now I'm thinking about it I a know, lot. But mm-hmm. When I look at anything, I think, am I looking at this thing too long? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Especially a person. Yeah, I don't know oh. where to look on a person. Where do I look? Mm. At your nose? At your I think eyes? Like, freaking me out your now. eyes, maybe. I think uh, you then are it's... scoring high on neuroticism. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> Not surprising. Stephen Consulted the algorithm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I like both of those facts a lot. Mm-hmm. I do. I'm going to go. 
I'm going to go with Sam. It doesn't even matter who you give your money to. It's true. <laughs> Ultimately, <laughs> nobody's going to win this except for Mawa. Yeah. Um, I'm going to give mine to Stefan because yeah. I've never heard of that research before. And that seems really mm-hmm. weird and scary. So I want to yeah. know more about it before it starts happening to us. Yeah. yeah. And now it's time for Ask the Science Couch, where we ask listener questions to our couch of finely honed scientific minds. Adit Bhatia asks, which AI has done the best on the Turing test? And can we access it? I do not know the answer to this question, even a little bit. Uh, Can you talk about what the Turing test is, though? I can talk about that. Basically, Alan Turing said, and I do not agree with him, uh, and I don't think many people do anymore, that if a computer can convince you that it is a person, then it will be a person. And so we are sort of heading for the future in which you can have a conversation with a computer and not have any idea that it's not a person. And that would be passing the Turing test. And there, I think, have been situations where AIs have, quote, passed the Turing test. But we look at that now and are like, ah, you know, it's just (laughs) doing a really good job of saying something that sounds like something someone might say in response to that particular question. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes very weird things. Like one of the weird examples, I think it was one of Google's natural language AIs. Somebody asked, what is immorality? And it responded, the fact that you have children. (laughs) It said the purpose of life was immortality. That sounds like a computer. Well, also, it kind of sounds like people. Yeah, Yeah. some people too, yeah. So the AI that's done the best on the Turing test, there are two that I found. The most controversial one was the chatbot named Eugene Goostman, Mm. (laughs) who (laughs) supposedly was designed to be a fake 13-year-old boy from Odessa, Ukraine, who doesn't speak English that well. Right. Okay, so I see that you've you've made your way around the Turing test Uh by being like, oh, well, the kid doesn't understand what I'm saying very well. (laughs) Yeah, and so it tricked 10 out of 30 of a panel of judges at the Royal Society in London into believing that that he was a real boy. Yeah. And people were saying that that counts as the Turing test. No. Mm. Yeah. As far as I can tell, I could not find Eugene Gustman. I, I was looking online. for him and I can't find him. I don't think you can chat with this boy anymore. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I want to chat with my fake Ukraine boy. Oh, did they but just you can... turn him off and he's gone forever? Yeah, he's just walking the same circuit <laughs> yeah. around his room. Yeah, stored in a computer somewhere. Apparently his dad is a gynecologist and he has a pet gerbil or something. There are transcripts of his conversations with other people (laughs) online, uh, (laughs) which I read a couple of. It's not very good, but also I didn't do any of the work to program him so I can be judgmental. The other one that seemed more legitimate to me, there was a festival in 2011 where a modified version of Cleverbot, which is... I don't know who designed it, but Mm -hmm. that you can play, um, tricked 59.3% of 1,334 votes, which included 30 judges and a generic audience. Hmm. And so that passed the 50% threshold, which was generally described as part of the Turing test. 50% is the threshold? Yeah. because That the, seems low. The original premise was there are two rooms and one of them has a machine and one of them has a human and you talk to both and you have to decide which is mm. like, uh. you have a one in two chance of deciding what the machine is. Mm-hmm. Um, it just has to trick you. There's some question as to like the validity of these competitions, like who's playing them in the case of over a thousand people playing them. Have people talked with a chatbot before? Mm-hmm. What are what conversations are they used mm-hmm. to having? So the people judging whether it is human or not are variable in yep. the Turing test. There is a strong argument 
for Turing test in some cases because it is actually a very difficult thing to accomplish mm -hmm. because you need natural language processing to for it to understand what you're saying to it. You need to store information before, during the conversation. You have to have some sort of reasoning algorithm to generate the responses, and you have to have some degree of machine learning to like adapt and constantly mm -hmm. like learn what it has from the conversation, store that, create new responses to make everything make sense. Mm -hmm. When Turing was throwing out these ideas, AI was still such a like a fairly new concept and sure. fairly tied to philosophy. This is a way to try and attempt to answer, like, can machines think? What is the best way to do that? Language, I guess, mm -hmm. maybe. The criticisms are really interesting nowadays. I think they fall into like three main-ish categories from what I can tell. One is that the people who are designing these things for Turing test competitions, they're all chatbots. The thing that they are designing for this is mm -hmm. an AI that is extremely good at talking to people, right. which isn't what most of the researchers who are doing AI are interested in. Mm -hmm. Like people are doing so many different things with like image processing and self-driving cars and natural language processing in different, more useful ways mm -hmm. or more broadly applicable ways. I guess I don't want to put value on it. But like Siri is more useful than a 13-year-old Ukrainian child right. on yeah. the internet. Uh, yeah. Strong <laughs> statement. The other thing that like keeps nibbling at my head is that are we asking the question, are these things thinking and are they alive? Mm -hmm. I can't get away from feeling like, I mean, if a bacteria is alive, then I think some of these computer programs are alive. Mm -hmm. And I have a hard time with that. But like first, bacteria are alive, but also like you know, I don't mind mass murdering them in my mouth every morning. But like, where are we at? And at what point do I have to feel bad about turning off a computer program? Mm -hmm. And like, I legitimately think that's a that's going to be a thing in my lifetime. Will it be alive when it won't let you turn it off? Is that the alive threshold? No, mm -hmm. I don't like I like I could turn you off, man. Oh, yeah. OK. That <laughs> 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 felt like pretty confrontational, me looking yeah. straight into your eyes while I said that. But it's true. Yeah, I guess you're right. <laughs> I wouldn't stand a chance. <laughs> not in your you're current weak. Yeah. You've only had one banana. <laughs> There's also like the question of intelligence, too. Right. So we look at other intelligent animals that we could like dolphins for instance mm -hmm, they wouldn't mm -hmm. pass a turing test because they don't speak the same language as right. humans but had we still feel like by other measures of animal intelligence yeah i don't want to go turn one off yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah you have some moral obligation not to yeah um, I'm keep as many dolphins turned on as possible. <laughs> <laughs> I started down the path. I just okay. kept going. Yeah. There's that dolphin that wanted to have sex with its trainer. They, I mean, they <laughs> apparently are pretty into people, yeah. from what I've heard. Yes, also from oh. what I've read. I'm glad that that's <laughs> how that yeah. sentence ended. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm taking away a Hank Buck for that one. Was I on I a know. tangent? Or not? I guess I kind of was. Dolphin sex? I, would, I wouldn't let you do it if I wasn't going to steal one. <laughs> <laughs> Why try to make something that thinks like a human being? Or is it possible to make something that doesn't think like a human being since we think like human beings? I think that's like a very current problem that yep. AI researchers are trying to tackle. So there's this idea of what is intelligence and what is imitating intelligence versus what is actually intelligence. And... Apparently, Noam Chomsky, the linguist, has pointed out that 
when we build machines to move in water, we don't make it swim like a human necessarily. Like mm-hmm. we still think that a submarine is a very effective machine because right. it's designed to do a task that we want it to, and we don't design it in human image. Mm-hmm. And so there are probably a lot of branches of AI that we could explore that aren't just mimicking human language, for example. Like there could be a way to process a large number of images that's completely different from how um, our eyes receive information and our brains process that retinal image and yeah. do things. Mm-hmm. As far as I know, that's like directions that AI research is going into is like, how can humans overlap with computers and how can our brains work similarly, but also how is artificial intelligence completely different and what directions can it go? Well, what I got out of that is that I'm as deep a thinker as Noam Chomsky is. Professional thinker. (laughs) (laughs) If you want to ask the science couch, you could tweet us your question using the hashtag AskSciShow. Thank you to PixieBlood32 and HL Toller and everybody else who tweeted us your questions. Now it's time for our final scores. Sarah, you've got one point. I've Mm -hmm. got two because I went on a dolphin sex tangent. (laughs) Sam, you've got one point. Stefan, you've got one point. I remain the winner. If you like this show and you want to help us out, it's super easy to do that. Uh, first, you can leave us a review wherever you listen, like KT Simon did. Thank you. It's super helpful. It helps us know what you like about the show and uh, and also helps other people know what you like about the show. Second, tweet out your favorite moment from this episode so that we know what that was, because I'd like to know. And finally, if you want to show your love for SciShow Tangents, you can just tell people about us. Thank you for joining us. I have been Hank Green. I've been Sari Riley. I've been Stefan Chin. And I've been Sam Schultz. SciShow Tangents is a co-production of Complexly and WNYC Studios. It's produced by all of us and Caitlin Hoffmeister. Our art is by Hiroka Matsushima and our sound design is by Joseph Tuna Medish. Our social media organizer is Victoria Bongiorno and we couldn't have made any of this without our patrons on Patreon. Thank you. And remember, the mind is not a vessel to be filled, but a fire to be lighted. One more thing. Allow me to read you the title of this 2010 paper, An Embedded Design of Intelligent Artificial Anus. So sometimes you don't have a rectum anymore um, because of disease. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so it's a it's not fun because you can't control uh, bowel movements as easily. So you have to have like situations to handle that for you. But if you have an artificially intelligent anus, your anus... Uh, can have a microcontroller and use pressure sensors to detect whether there is a need for excretion.